Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to CLNS Media, powered by betonline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash roll. Use our promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your first deposit. Everybody, and welcome back to the Red Sox Beat Podcast, presented by CLNS Media. It's a leading online video and audio provider for Major League Baseball. I'm your host of the show, Chris Catillo. I'm a beat reporter for the Red Sox. Uh, for MathLive.com, this is our June 11th episode, number 220 of this show. It's covered, as always, by betonline.ag, which is CLNS Media's preferred online sports book. Today, as we sometimes do, we check around the league, see, check in on who the Red Sox play, competition in the American League. We have a broadcast Texas Radio Network and 103 The Fan. Jared Sandler's on the line. Jared, thank you for uh, joining in this week. Chris, thanks for having me. So obviously, you know, the big story in Red Sox Nation this week doesn't involve the Rangers. So uh, you're going to have to bear with us for a second because David Ortiz was shot <laughs> uh, and, and wounded in, a, in an attack in the Dominican Republic on Sunday night. And I think, you know, this is something that even though you're not around the Red Sox, you're around Boston, this is something that's really, you know, shocked the baseball world. And um, kind of the game was secondary last night, I think, on both sides. Yeah, he's one of these larger than life figures. It's, uh, you know... It, even like the best players on certain teams don't reach that level, that status. And obviously Boston's a baseball crazy town. So that helps. But, uh, and, and, you know, unfortunately what happened with the Boston marathon probably helped kind of his profile and his status. I don't think that anyone necessarily wanted that to happen in order for that to happen. But, you know, he really kind of showed his colors as an ambassador to the city and to the community uh, when that took place a few years ago. And, and if he, if it was possible for him to, be more beloved by a fan base in a city uh, and, and heck even a, a country uh, then, you know, he achieved that with that. So, you know, he's kind of like an adopted son. It seems like from afar, you know, I, I, I can't speak to that nearly as well as you could, Chris, but from afar, that's certainly what it seems like. And I guess for someone who uh, like myself, who's been, uh, who's grown up in, in the Dallas fourth Metroplex, the closest thing we have of late is Dirk Nowitzki. And I was mm-hmm. thinking, you know, how would, DFW respond if this happened to Dirk and you know the city would probably react very similarly to how Boston has where everything else becomes secondary to the health of this uh, you know, this famous athlete who has done so much more than just help your favorite team win and that's kind of what Ortiz has been like uh, for the Red Sox and the fan base and the community and and, and that's my perspective as an outsider obviously uh, you would you would have a way better touch on this than I would. Yeah, obviously we've had a run of dominance here for the last 20 years in a lot of sports, and and the Bruins could add to that, uh, you know, Wednesday night with Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Finals. I think that's really interesting that that's you know going on that game. They were in Game Six, 
uh, an elimination game for the Bruins the other night on Sunday night. And that game became secondary when this news started breaking. I was barely paying attention to it. And, and tomorrow night, you know, it doesn't feel like game seven of a, of a championship round is happening here just because of kind of the way um, this week is, as you know, unfolded so far that the Gortiz and Tom Brady are the two guys around here that are just on a different playing field than anybody else. And um, it's, it sounds like he's now in stable condition. He's at mass general in ICU. But last night, you know, the Red Sox and Rangers played a great game a back and forth, you know, back and forth in the last couple innings, extra innings game. And the Nesson broadcast, as I looked up at the TV in the press box, was uh, a live shot of a police escort of an ambulance taking Ortiz from Logan Airport to Mass General. So it was a day where Alex Cora said it's a day that nobody wants to be a part of. We didn't want to be here. The Red Sox have gone through this now, you know, at least four times in the last year uh, with something. Obviously, Ortiz survived the attack, but, you know, three uh, three other times we've had, you know, something really bad happen around here. Alex Cora, um, his best friend, uh, lost his son in a car accident last summer, uh, Ari Artiega. And then in spring training, we lost Nick Cafardo. Uh, and then, you know, Ramel Jordan, Blake Swihart's brother in a, in a couple weeks there. So the Red Sox have played with heavy hearts uh, a lot in the last two years. And, and you kind of wonder at a certain point how much that weighs on a team. So, you know, obviously wishing David Ortiz, who's one of my favorite players growing up, a speedy recovery, and, and it's good that he's back in Boston, and uh, hopefully we'll see him out at Fenway Park soon. But Jared, we're here. Um, you know, baseball well, hey, Chris, goes on. Quickly, I, I just, you know, just to add to that, mm-hmm. the, you know, it, it's amazing as well, just from from the Rangers' point of view, and and obviously I think this applies to the 28 other teams that we haven't mentioned. There are a lot of guys now, a lot of the young players from the Dominican look up to David Ortiz, and the Rangers yep. have more than a handful of players from the Dominican, and it was just. I don't want to say amazing because I think there's like a positive connotation to that, but it was very surreal to witness how much it weighed on some of these guys, guys like Nomar Mazzara, for instance, who uh, come from the Dominican. Nomar's in his early 20s, so you know he's young enough to really idolize and look up to David Ortiz, even if he wasn't uh, that wasn't his favorite player. I think all the Dominican players recognize the impact that David Ortiz has had on on them as baseball players in that country and. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it certainly doesn't hit any fan base, any group, any any collection of people harder than the Red Sox or the Boston, uh, like the, the New England area. But it, it is kind of interesting. I don't know how many players would have that sort of an effect where whether you knew him or not, he's from your country and you recognize the impact he's had in, in paving the way for you. There aren't a lot of people that that applies to. And I think that just kind of speaks to the the power and the impact that David Ortiz has had on, on so many people. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, a lot of Dominican players on both sides talked about safety concerns about going home last night and thinking, you know, if this can happen to David Ortiz, it can happen to anyone too. So obviously a storyline that will, will kind of carry through this whole series. It's an unfortunate time for the Rangers to be in town, but this is actually a, a matchup of two teams that are, you know, fighting for a wild card spot. I don't think anybody would have expected that, you know, a few months ago when we entered the season, the Red Sox are now 34 and 33. They're two games back of the Rangers, who are five games over 500. I think the Rangers were not expected really to compete in in the playoff race at all. So, from your point of view, uh, has a lot gone right right for this team so far? And and what do you expect? Do you expect them to be a legitimate contender for a wild card race? It actually seems pretty open right now. Six teams within four games, so it's uh, it's pretty open for that second spot. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Chris. They were so bad last year, but they, they kind of did an about-face, not just with their manager and, and bringing on Chris Woodward, but uh, the staff and then just like the philosophies and the way they kind of go about business, trying to 
uh, kind of catch up with some of the more progressive teams and the way they mm-hmm. develop players and use data. And, and, and so it was tough to know what to expect. Obviously, no one expected the Rangers to, uh, you know, to, to go toe to toe with the Astros. I think there were some people who lean on the optimistic side that thought the Rangers could maybe just be in the conversation. But I think people would be lying if they told you that they knew that on June 11th or whatever the day is that the Rangers would be exactly where they are. But what I'll say is what, what what's so shocking about it is they've done this without really good pitching. Uh, you know, they, their offense is good, and I think a lot of people expected their offense to be good. I don't know that people necessarily expected Joey Gallo to be as good as he's been and right. he's hurt right now. But uh, the fact, like, if you just told me that the Rangers, like, if you read the Rangers pitching numbers, not just the rotation, but the, the bullpen, and you told me that they wouldn't get a quality start from uh, someone other than, than Mike Miner for the and, and Lance Lynn for the first month of the season, I would tell you, oh gosh, we're probably looking at a team that's like ten games under five hundred. So they've overcome these pitching woes. They've kind of kept things afloat just barely. But if they do want to compete and contend, not just through the end of June, but into July and August and September, they're going to have to right the ship on the pitching front because it's going to be very tough to sustain this level of success if the pitching isn't better than what it, uh, what it has been. Uh, but it's a young team with a lot of guys who you didn't quite know to what degree they would develop and improve. If in fact there was some development and improvement and things have kind of clicked really well for them. I don't know if they're going to be a playoff team. You know, I think they'll, they'll obviously remain in the conversation for a little bit. Uh, that pitching though is, is definitely got to be better if uh, this is going to be something that carries us beyond the trade deadline. Yeah, and a couple guys, you know, have been atrocious. And obviously, I'm not watching these these Rangers every day, but you look at the numbers for Shelby Miller, and um, you know, I saw something about Drew Smiley losing a spot in the rotation, and um, but that kind of is on the other side of the spectrum. Mike Miner has developed into an ace, and he's a guy that was kind of talked about in trade rumors here and there, and now for the Rangers, he's developed into you know a guy who you know no decision last night, but pitched really well at Fenway Park and, and went toe to toe with Chris Sale. Uh, that early home run to Andrew Benintendi being uh, really the only blemish for him. Yeah, it, and it was really impressive. I got to believe, you know, some pitchers admit this, others don't. When you're going up against a guy like Chris Sale, you recognize that the pressure's on you. And I thought that, you know, when he gave up the home run to Benintendi, obviously you're, you're now climbing a pretty steep hill if you're the Rangers because Chris Sale has been pitching well and he pitched great last night. Yep. But I got to believe that as a pitcher, you then feel the pressure of, man, if I give up one more run, this is probably out of reach. And for him against a good lineup to uh, settle in and, and not give up any more damage the rest of the way was huge. He's been outstanding, especially because early in the year, he was the only guy going six plus innings for the Rangers. And it, it's tough, you know, when your starters don't go deep and your bullpen's not very good especially from the, the standpoint of it's thin. The, the bullpen now for the Rangers is a lot better with their, their top four relievers. But beyond that, it's, 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 it's a grab bag. In April, though, they had one reliable reliever, and that was Sean Kelly. Everyone else was pretty bad. And so the weight of a starting pitcher not going deep into the game was felt not only that night, but in ensuing nights when you had to keep running these relievers out there. And, and Mike Miner, pretty, I don't want to say single-handedly, but pretty close to single-handedly, kept the whole pitching staff afloat in April. And, uh, you know, what he's meant to this team is is tremendous. But you're right. I mean, it, it's it's amazing. Three-fifths of their opening day rotation is is not in the rotation or, or about to not be in the rotation if Drew Smiley loses his spot or goes on the injured list. Shelby Miller now working out of the bullpen. 
Edinson Volquez has been hurt for the last couple months. So, uh, you know, it's a little bit of smoke and mirrors. Ariel Gerardo, who's pitching tonight, has had a total transformation and went from a guy last year who didn't look like he had any place in the major leagues to being a, you know, a, a nice guy to fill out a rotation. Adrian Sampson has, has pitched pretty well for the Rangers. Uh, and then, you know, with that fifth spot, they're just trying to figure out how to make it work. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty nuts how the Rangers have gone about having success. It's, it's certainly not a plan that you want to uh, write up for a team, but uh, they've done a nice job. And then, Chris, I don't know how to quantify resiliency, and, and I'm not trying to sound all Hallmark card-ish or whatever, but two nights ago, the Rangers were down 8 nothing. And they had the tying run in scoring position in the ninth inning to try and uh, complete a comeback and get the win. They fell short. And then last night they come back. I know the Red Sox have had major problems in the ninth, but the Rangers put up two runs in the ninth to take the lead and then ultimately win an 11. This is a team that has been very tough to retire for that 27th out. And, you know, if you don't win, you don't get any like prizes for it. You know, the, the party favor means absolutely nothing. And I get that. But I do think there's a, a little bit of fight in this team that has kind of helped them because naturally with their pitching as shaky as it's been, they've had to come back a lot. They've had 17 come from behind wins, which has been a big part of their identity. Yeah, and that sounds like, you know, kind of the opposite of what we've seen from the Red Sox this year. You know, the Rangers are probably overperforming. The Red Sox have underperformed since March 28th on opening day in Seattle. And you know, the Red Sox, I think, you know, if you, you talk about quantifying resiliency and a team that fights to the end and stuff like that, we've seen a lot of lifeless days from this Red Sox roster. Saw them lose three out of four to Tampa over the weekend, game one of the doubleheader with, you know, Josh Smith and Sam Travis were kind of the, the star, stars of the game. As, as someone who's with the Rangers, I don't, I would expect you don't even know who those two guys are. Um, but oh, we, God, you're, you're selling me short. I'm, I am very familiar with Sam Travis at the least. All right. There you go. Well, he, uh, you know, those guys are, are playing in, in June meaningful games for the Red Sox. And I think there's, you know, a lot of injuries, Steve Pierce, Mitch Moreland, some other guys. But this has been a lifeless bunch. I think it's really interesting that this series, you know, you kind of look at it, you know, last year, at least when the Rangers came in. I, I think I think they've been swept the last two years at Fenway. I think last night was their first win at Fenway and since since 2016, if I read that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And um, you, know, you look at a team that, you know, it just seems like the Red Sox beat up on them all the time, but a team that has come in um, and is is a, a legitimate threat, at least for now, in the wild card. But, you know, that, that race is, like I said, wide open. The Rays, I think, are very, very good. Saw them over the weekend. Um, and then you have, you know, the Yankees, it seemed like they're one of those teams will get the spot. Um, and then you have the Indians, who um, are not as good as they have been. They're dealing with a lot of different injuries. Carlos Carrasco going down with a blood condition. You've had Bauer and, um, you know, Kluber's been out. And so it's it's been... It's been a tough year for them. Oakland has kind of surged back after a poor start. The Angels, I always think, you know, when you have the best player in baseball, um, you'll at least have a chance. One guy that we just talked about a little bit that I wanted to get back to was Sean Kelly. He's a guy the Red Sox were interested in signing uh, over the winter, and it seemed like a perfect fit for the Red Sox bullpen. And obviously he's been someone that uh, has been really, really good for the Rangers. He came in last night and pitched uh, a veteran guy who I think, you know, people kind of remember him for, um, I think he had a, a tantrum last year with Washington that, that led to him being designated for assignment, but he went to Oakland after that and pitched. He had an ERA about two this year. Uh, now looking at it in 21 appearances for the Rangers, a two, six, six ERA. And he was signed to uh, a deal that was two and three quarters million last year. So um, that's something the Red Sox could have afforded. And that is kind of, for me, the little things that could have turned the Red Sox around. You have, you know, Matt Barnes, not 
not performing well in the last week. Ryan Brazier is regressed, and this bullpen is it doesn't have a lot of depth. And you have a guy like that that you could have added for really nothing that has been, like you said, a very consistent piece for for Texas so far. Yeah, and you know, unfortunately, he he wasn't able to get the job done last night, but that doesn't change you know right. how important he's been. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, Chris, I didn't know a ton about Sean. I knew about him as a baseball player. But, you know, some of those intangibles, it's tough to know unless you're around the guy. And what I did know from or what I thought I knew from an intangible standpoint was, well, this guy must not be a big team guy because of that tantrum that you identified, you know, slamming his glove in a blowout game coming up, you know, not uh, upset. He gave up the home run. I asked him about it uh, a few weeks ago and I got a a good story from him that kind of justifies the actions to some degree. He also recognizes his culpability. But the reason I asked him, and it wasn't something I was planning on doing, uh, but he's been awesome. And, you know, not just like, you know, from a broadcaster standpoint of being around him, but from a team standpoint, the first thing that makes him valuable is he doesn't need like 20 pitches to get warm. Uh, He has this incredible ability to get loose in like four to five pitches. And and Chris Woodward, the Rangers manager, said he's never seen anything like it. And the guy comes in, he throws four pitches on the mound in the bullpen. However many he needs on the game mound after the pitching change, and he's good to go. But he's also, there's no ego there. You know, he's pitching in the ninth inning right now because Jose LeClerc, the Rangers closer, got off to a really rough start. And Sean's message the whole time has been, hey, I'm just keeping this seat warm for Jose until he's ready. You know, he's an amazing talent. He's going to be back here. I'm not the closer for this team. I'm just here to help. He doesn't mind pitching in any situation. He'll go multiple innings. You know, he'll get more than three outs for if you need. Uh, he, you know, there. that's just, I, I feel like that's, that's not easy to find. And he's really, really good. Uh, and so I think for that reason, it's been really valuable for the Rangers. I don't know long-term within the framework of this year what his role will be if he'll stay in the ninth inning. Uh, or if eventually that does uh, return to Jose LeClerc's, uh, uh, you know, bag of responsibilities. But whatever the case is, I think it's a big weight off Chris Woodward's shoulders, knowing that he doesn't have to worry about hurting Sean Kelly's feelings or an ego or anything. And that right there, again, those are things that don't get measured in a box score that do play a, a role. And then if you look at Sean Kelly's numbers, obviously you can see the guy's been really, really effective this year. So the effectiveness on paper and the way he's fit within the framework of what the Rangers are trying to do uh, off the field, those two things combined have been a a huge addition for the Rangers. And and I got to believe whether it was the twins or the Red Sox or one of these contending teams that could use bullpen help, what they didn't see in Sean Kelly or why they chose to go in a different direction. Cause you read the contract. It's not like the Rangers, uh, you know, put a whole lot of money in the middle of the table and just outbid everyone. I'm sure Sean Kelly could have been had, uh, by a, a number of teams, but the Rangers were the team that uh, I guess made the most sense to him based on whatever conversations he was having. Yeah, I know. It's, it's just, it's kind of when the Red Sox were, were talking to him, I thought that's a perfect fit. He's a guy that, you know, minus one bad year has had success pretty much for the last few years with a bunch of different teams pitched in the AL East with the Yankees back a few years ago. So someone that would have fit in well, the Red Sox bullpen problems continued last night as i wrote about this morning you know i think you know the column that i wrote was on a surreal day for red Sox. you know they they get a dose of reality in the late innings matt barnes 
like I talked about, has been, you know, the super reliever, the guy who's going to come in high leverage situations all the time. His command has not been good over his last nine appearances. He blew his fourth save of the year last night. Ryan Brazier, who, as we're talking, was just placed on the bereavement slash family medical emergency list. So best wishes to Ryan with whatever's going on there to make room for Darwin's and Hernandez. But Brazier, at least on the mound last night, um, did not have it again, gave up, you know, the walk-off single in the 11th inning and the Red Sox lost. It seems like that bullpen for the Red Sox was so strong all year. Uh, it was really the the one consistent piece, shockingly, after everything we talked about in the offseason and an offseason where they didn't go out and get a Sean Kelly. They didn't go out and get someone like Adam Montevino or Zach Britton or Andrew Miller. They decided to stay in-house, try to replace uh, Craig Kimbrell and Joe Kelly with in-house options. Obviously, you know Kim- Kelly hasn't performed. Kimbrell just got to Chicago, but uh, it has not worked out in the last couple weeks for the Red Sox. I don't know if there's betting lines available on if the Red Sox bullpen will blow saves or not, but if there is, you can probably, <laughs> it's a great segue, find them on betonline.ag. Red Sox season's well underway. The Red Sox are obviously trying to win a World Series. Again, if you are not a major leaguer, which none of you probably are, and you're dying to feel like you want to be part of the action, uh, you can go to betonline.ag and let them do the heavy lifting for you. There's only one place to grab the odds and allow the experts to help you with sports, live betting, a virtual casino, anything you want, betonline.ag is CLNS Media's preferred online sportsbook. If you're feeling lucky and you want to support our podcast, go to clnsmedia.com backslash SoxBeat, that's S-O-X-B-E-A-T, and use our custom promo code, that's CLNS50, CLNS50, for that 50% sign-up bonus. CLNS50 on betonline.ag, AG like Attorney General, and that's your online sportsbook experts. So back to the, the Rangers talk here. Interestingly, you know, they're trying to follow a model the Red Sox did last year, at least in one way, by uh, employing a first-year manager with no managerial experience. And, and actually, Jared, this guy, Chris Woodward, is a Red Sox legend. People so easily have forgotten his 13-game stint with the Red Sox back in 2009. He had one hit as a member of the Red Sox, two walks, four strikeouts, played second, short, and third for a period in 2009. And uh, I'm sure that those 13 games really uh, molded the man who's now running the Texas Rangers. <laughs> well, he speaks very favorably of uh, Fenway Park. He actually said that Fenway, uh, we were talking, man, maybe a month ago, that Fenway is his favorite place to go. And I don't know if that 13-game stint uh, cemented that in his mind or not. But uh, I know he yeah, well, there, very... There is- Seven years with the Blue Jays, too, that might have. Yeah, no, that's what he said was that, you know, when he was with the Blue Jays going there as a visiting player, you know, he played for the Blue Jays during a period of time where they didn't get tremendous fan support. This wasn't like the Blue Jays of a few years ago where uh, the Rogers Center was packed and just, you know, deathly loud. Uh, And so going to a place like Fenway. Uh, I think was awesome for him. You know, Chris is a, he's just a baseball junkie. So he appreciates the history of it. And uh, now, I mean, he, he definitely has a lot of experience there. It was, uh, you know, as you mentioned that time with the blue Jays and uh, you know, his, I think the, the experience that he's had as a visiting player, whatever little experience he took from it as a, as a member of the Red Sox, but this is his favorite place to go. And I know he was jazzed up to, to get to, to be at Fenway as a manager for the first time. And he also, the one thing about him, he doesn't shy away from admitting when something is big or, you know, a lot of managers now, it's just another game, just another series, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
And, you know, at the end of the day, they're not necessarily wrong. But when asked about this series, he said, no, this is this is a big series for us. This is a great way for us to kind of measure where we are. This is a really good team that we're playing. He acknowledged that the Red Sox are way. (laughs) Well, you know, in his eyes, the Red Sox are way better than their record. And, you know, the reality is we have however many months left, but the Rangers and Red Sox are fighting for the same thing right now. And so he didn't. He didn't hesitate to admit the, you know, whatever gravity of the series there is in early June and also identified, hey, you're going to be playing in front of a tremendous atmosphere in a, in a great ballpark. And, uh, you know, even though Woody hasn't been around, he's well aware the Rangers have struggled at Fenway Park, as we talked about earlier. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I do think he uh, I don't know how memorable his 13 games of the Red Sox are, but I know Fenway Park is a special place for him. And it would have been your takeaways kind of <clears throat> it's ha- of him as a manager so far. It's obviously. You know, the manager gets credit when things go better than they're expected. So if this continues, probably manager of the year candidate. Uh, you know, I think Alex Cora should have won it last year. But your overall impressions of Woodward so far? He's been great. And, you know, I, I think Jeff Bannister in four years, you know, one helped win the help win two divisions. And unfortunately, it didn't end great. But, uh, you know, Chris Woodward has come on and, and he's, you know, he's injected a, a degree of life and energy into this ball club. And, I'll tell you what I think is really important. I, I can I can throw out all these examples of why I think he's been such a great fit and and this and that. But the reality is, uh, you know, it's so tough to quantify. But I'll, I'll say this: I think he made a big mistake on opening day by not starting Shinsu Chu. He was the lone All Star for the Rangers last year and is is one of the leaders in that clubhouse. But he played mm-hmm. the matchups and he decided to start Hunter Pence instead of Shinsu Chu because they are facing lefty John Lester. And now, you know, the way it's worked out, both guys are pretty much everyday players for the Rangers. But at the time, that wasn't the case. And Chu was really hurt by it. You know, he's he's a very proud veteran who, you know, I think that being an opening day starter means something to him. It means it means something to a lot of guys. And right. I think he was upset that, you know, he felt like he had done everything that he could to earn that honor. And it's not like he was fighting for a spot in the lineup either. He just he they played the matchups on opening day. And that was the first, to me, that was the first real roadblock or obstacle that Chris Woodward was going to have to overcome because it's always a honeymoon period as a manager until there's a confrontation or until there's a problem. And the way he handled that, to me, was the first real true point your finger to a moment where it's like, this guy gets it. And you obviously need to have talent, but as long as he's got a degree of talent, he's going to be great. Because the next day he sat down, I think he had a meal. The Rangers had an off day. Uh, they, they did opening day, off day, and then completed the series on a Saturday and Sunday. On that Friday, he sat down, got together with Shin Su Chu. They had a multi-hour, I don't even want to say meeting, just conversation. Woody just getting to know Chu, understanding how he was wired and why he felt the way he did. And Woody admitted that he was wrong. You know, he came right off the bat and said, you know what, Chu, I, I messed up. And then a few days later, he said it publicly when he was asked about it. He, he wasn't afraid to admit he's wrong. He's not afraid to admit that he doesn't know something. I think he really uses his coaching staff and tr- trusts them. And they really are a team. He's not the dictator and everything else falls in line. Obviously, at times, it's, you know, his opinion's the one that probably will win out. But, you know, he's not, uh, it's not like my way or the highway at all times. And I think the way he handles conflict, he now has Shinsu Chu willing to run through a wall for him at, you know, at any cost. And that wasn't the case. Chu was, was very upset. And he talked about like, man, should I, is this where I've gotten as a player? Should I retire? Should I, am am I done? And now Chu, who, who is and and has been a leader 
will fight for this guy no matter what. And the way that he handled that, uh, Woody, the way he handled that situation, I think speaks volumes. Because a lot of times as a manager, your job is crisis management and personality management. And I think he has gotten an A-plus in that regard. And I'll tell you, it, it says a lot. These guys love him. I mean, I, I just think that's so important. I think the X's and O's and the data and the numbers are huge. But I think that at the end of the day, the guys that you are managing have to want to play for you. And they do. And on top of that, he's really brought this whole data-driven player development uh, process or processes to the Rangers. And I think that the players are now consuming data in a way that they hadn't previously and in a way that is is shaped towards their needs and their wants. It's not just a blanket. This is all the information understand it. It's all right, Shin Su Chu, what information would help you? Okay, let's craft a personalized kind of packet for you and ways to help you. All right, Joey Gallo, what would help you? They're really individualizing all of this. And, and it's way different than I think what uh, I've experienced as a witness the last few years. And I think the players are really taking to it. Yeah, I think that's that's great. And it's something that we saw here last year, Alex Cora, guy who came in and kind of had the respect of a clubhouse. I think we've seen teams turning toward that younger, more relatable guy who hasn't been out of the game for 10 or 15 years. And, and really, you know, in, in both of these coaches' cases, Woodward, um, you know, was co- coached with the Dodgers, right? That was before? Yep. Yeah, and yep, so, three you know, years he, for the Dodgers, the third base coach. So that's a guy who's now, you know, been in the World Series the last two years. They came up short. Alex Cora has also, you know, been against Woodward in the Dodgers the last two years um, with the Astros. And then um, the Red Sox, obviously, Woodward and Cora are actually just a few months apart. I think they're both 42 right now. And and teams are clearly going in this direction. Rocco Baldelli has done such a good job with the Twins so far this year. is is 37, I think. And so these guys are you know, not too far removed from their playing careers. And a lot of cases are still, you know, there's there's going to be players on the roster who are right around their age. How old is Shinsu Chu? 35, 36? Yep. So, I mean, that's not, you're in the same generation. There's there's relatability with the veterans on your roster. The Red Sox, you know, Dustin Pedroia, we've been dealing with that all year around here. And Alex Cora, who played with Pedroia um, back when he was with the Red Sox, you know, was able to relate to him and, and through that tough process. So, I think that that's been something that's been, you know, really good that both of these managers can relate. I actually asked Alex Cora back in spring training. There's a bunch of first-year managers, two in the division the Red Sox play in, Brandon Hyde in Baltimore, Charlie Montoyo in Toronto. And I asked Cora what his advice would be for any of these guys. Uh, He said, just be yourself, be accountable. Um, And something really interesting was he said, if you are not the guy who went into the interview and got the job once you are actually there, then things are going to get difficult. Uh, really soon so it sounds like a uh, woodward has come in in texas and and been kind of the guy they hired uh, we'll see over the next three days here at fenway park um the game which if this is out tuesday tuesday night at seven wednesday night at 405 an early start because of the bruins in game seven of the stanley cup final and then thursday for the series finale at seven you can follow jared sandler on twitter jared what's your uh twitter handle it is at Jared Sandler. Wow. Very, uh, very unique right there. <laughs> so any, any Rangers info, we might be seeing these guys in October if the Red Sox get their act together and the Rangers um, continue the pace they've been on. So, Jared, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, best of luck to the Rangers the rest of the way.